Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Hanging out with you guys from the East Valley Institute of Technology. Always an honor to spend it with you right here from one of the renowned technology schools in the world, for that matter. But first, we've got to pump up some trumpets, Bree. Let's pump up the Boodles Band. Everybody needs a little brass woodwinds in their life. And as we say every week, Budos Band, right from Staten Island, they open the show with us. We're always honored to play that for you. We've heard from you at WrenchNation.tv. Thank you so much for all your comments on social media, uh, YouTube, and everywhere out there. We appreciate you guys. If you're new to the show... Uh, We are an automotive lifestyle show that's covering the unique and fascinating automotive talents and topics and places from all over the globe. In fact, next week, I'll be in SEMA Apex uh, doing some work out there, and I look forward to seeing a lot of you. Look, everything right now is all about electric vehicles and, and autonomous and connected car and all this goodness. And uh, my question, you know, as a shop owner, as an automotive, uh, entrepreneur, a technician by trade, is not the tech side of, you know, how do we fix these things? Because I think we'll evolve there. But is how are we, as an aftermarket, going to profitably put together a respectable business model? So my goal covering Apex and SEMA to bring to you is really to get on the business side of how that may look in the next three, four, five, even 10 years and sooner. And uh, speaking of which, we know that the future of transportation is evolving. I mean, there's just an incredible array of technology that's going on. In fact, some innovation and design experts say that some of the most advanced futuristic concepts in mobility will be here in as little as five years. This whole transportation shift is happening now, and we are truly honored to have Jans Martin Skibstep. He's a renowned designer, and he is going to be joining us right out of Denmark. And we're going to touch upon the topic, dive into the fascinating technology. We're also going to discuss some of the projects that Jans has been involved with, like the Terrafugia transition, innovating bike designs, EVs, and some of the work that he's doing to really move the needle across the globe in that arena. I wanted to bring to you guys the future of mobility uh, in a way that covers what we do know now is, of course, electrification, autonomous driving, uh, mobility as a service. Think about it. Uh, We here in Chandler, Arizona, uh, which is a suburb of Phoenix, we're seeing uh, the Waymo transportation mode of vehicles now set to get into autonomous. And that's going to help a lot of folks that are not able to see or hear. Imagine what technology can do for that whole sector. Artificial intelligence, smart infrastructure, big data, and of course, a bit of that augmented and virtual reality. That's all happening now. And so we're going to be diving into that topic. I want to bring you uh, all my technicians in the service space. Be aware, 2015 to 2021 Chevy Colorado trucks may have a vacuum leak. And we know those pesky vacuum leads, not too difficult to test. A little smoke, get in there and look at data. But the 15 to 21 Colorados may be leaking vacuum into the oil booster. Now, this is not a recall, uh, but that booster may have a vacuum leak along with that DTC's trouble code stored, CO299. And if that vacuum's leaking into the oil booster, your suspect culprit is the vacuum pump. Uh, they do recommend replacing that pump and related hose. Now, it's real simple. If you are a layman and you just heard me say, well, I don't have a fancy diagnostic tool. Well, if you suspect an issue, some symptoms you may have, you could have a hard brake pedal. You may hear a vacuum leak. Perhaps you're seeing some oil consumption. Maybe not as much in this case. Check the vacuum hose from that pump. And if it is oil-saturated inside, it's an indication you've got a leak. So I want you guys to be aware of that. Uh, Also, Elon Musk is in the news. I love Mr. Elon Musk. He 
definitely is pushing the envelope uh, with about, I think it's 75% of market share with his fleet of goodness. Uh, you guys, if you're not on our Service Life group, get on a Facebook. We do mention uh, Elon Musk uh, quite a book, uh, quite a bit. Uh, Tesla is actually sending out letters to NHTSA. Now, you've heard us talk about recalls. Why are recalls recalls? Well, it's because it's related to safety. If there's something that you aren't happy with, i.e. the seat is not as comfortable, well, that may be not good for you, but it's not necessarily a safety. Unless the rear just pops down, then certainly that's a safety. There could be a recall. But I pose to you, and I pose to a lot of my industry types that listen to the show, what about an over-the-air update to fix a problem? Should that be considered a recall? How does that, I mean, how does that look to you? Should the federal government go from recalls to maybe safety-relevant defect notification? That may sound fancy. I mean, we have live Windows updates. I mean, again, it's not safety by way of behind the wheel, but it's certainly safety behind your computer and maybe getting hacked and so on. So this is going to be an interesting topic as we move forward and these things develop because these vehicles, and it's incredible. You come into my garage and there's a fix for your brakes that has to do with a reprogram, a set of parameter data that's downloaded. We change that parameter, as it were, from the engineers that designed it, and it fixes the vehicle. I've had plenty of brake jobs in the in the uh, service base where uh, one would complain about a brake issue, and they went elsewhere, and they spent a lot of money on the hardware. Meanwhile, there was an outstanding update. It's kind of like that update to your cell phone. So be aware of that. Should these over-the-air or OTA updates carry the recall? call standing. I also want to kind of dive into the fact that when a manufacturer has a major recall, well, what does it do to the market? And in the marketplace, it affects their stock. It may give them a little uh, drop in value. Now, if the company's good and they, they're evaluated properly like uh, Tesla is, then they're on their way. But it may cause a little uh, drama behind the financial evaluation of a company for the short term. So, uh, something to consider. I think we got Greg Ovest uh, holding. Greg, come on in. You're going to give us an update. Where are you at? Greg's, uh, Greg is always giving us an update regarding the antiquities and classic cars. <laughs> how you been, Porter? Good. How are you guys? Wunderbar. Where are you hey, at? I'm, I'm excited to hear about these flying cars. That's going to be a new, uh, a yeah. new thing for me to look into. Well, we know that China uh, is in that arena. We know we've seen some reports out of Dubai. Uh, yeah. Jans is going to set us straight on that. I'm excited about that as well. So give us, what is the weekly? We're getting ready for SEMA, the grand poobah of expos happening in Vegas next week. Lots of performance, lots of yep. uh, vehicles happening out there and technology and so on. What's yep. shaking? Well, I'm not able to attend, but let's not forget about uh, the concourse that's happening at the end of this week in Las Vegas at the Wynn with Stewart. Oh, yes. We missed that Las Vegas concourse. Uh, big shout out to Stuart Sobex. He, he's doing an amazing job out there yep. with just uh, drop dead gorgeous yep. uh, vehicles. But uh, but just this past weekend, uh, had a great time in California at the Peterson Museum. Uh, you know, it's a great place to visit if you're in L.A. But what what it was is there was a Magnus Walker exhibit that was opened and released. Um, what it is, it's, it was his 10-year anniversary of his Urban Outlaw documentary. And what he was able to do is have an exhibit opened up at the Peterson in the vault. And he brought 10 of his cars, and it was a grand opening. It was it was a great evening. And uh, it's a must-see if you're going to go to California and L.A. area. It's a must-see. Yeah, Magnus Walker, uh, Porsche fame. Uh, so much respect. Yep. In fact, you guys can catch... Show 231, this is back in 2021, Magnus came on the show and we just talked his amazing story about how he came to this country and and really didn't have direction and look what he's built now. Now, my understanding is that he hand-selected a few people to drive some of these unique, eclectic, uh, prized possessions of his collection. That would have been 
cool. <laughs> yeah, he did. And there was a couple of things while visiting with him. Um, he shared with me a couple of interesting facts that I just love to hear. First of all, his famous 277 Porsche, he actually bought it at a swap meet in 1999. And I, and I love the fact that he bought it at a swap meet. <laughs> well, it gives you hope. You think you're just going to go to a swap meet and pick up some yep. baskets and some old tools, but you may just find a rarity. Yep. Yeah, he bought that at, at Promoter Swap Meet in '99, and it was just on a whim. He wasn't even there, bought you know the other shop for cars, but he said he went there just to hang out. And he says that car kind of like spoke to him, caught his eye, and he just had to have it. And it was a fair price, so he bought it. And uh, I love stories when people buy cars like that and bring them back to life and and get them back on the road. So that was an interesting fact. But going back to your point about the 10 cars that he selected to bring to the Peterson, he actually had all his friends and himself drive all 10 cars to the museum. And that's something to be said because most cars that come to the Peterson for exhibits are enclosed trailers and, you know, all of this white glove touch, but he actually drove all 10 of his cars to the opening of that exhibit. So I thought that was just a great story to hear. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's down to earth. If you guys are not familiar, uh, I invite you. Magnus Walker, all over YouTube. Um, yep. Get some insight. You can certainly check out our show. It's on the website, ranchnation.tv. Uh, let me ask you this. Peterson Museum, uh, which is uh, one of the renowned museums in the world, what was your vibe? Was that your first time there? I, I, or You've been out there before, yeah? Yeah, no, I've been on this. This is my second really major visit that I was able to be there with an event and enjoy the exhibits. Um, but it was a great time. Absolutely great time. Yeah, awesome. Well, they have, you know, they have the, the big movie car section. They have a James Bond section that they they I think they're taking down at the end of this month. Uh, but Magnus's event goes all the way to the end of January. So nice. if you're in that area, please go by there. It's something you just have to see. It's it's just amazing. It shows all his, some of the artwork he's done, some of the storytelling of the cars that he's owned, uh, some of the storytelling of his journey uh, from England and, until now. And, uh, you know, it was just a great time. And just visiting with him, it was, I was able to visit with him on the, another event a while back, but this one, he was just so relaxed and so engaged. And he had his girlfriend there, Hannah, and he brought his dog Willow with him and his mom was even there. So it was just a whole different vibe. It was very relaxing and chill. And it was great to just like have a slow down minute with Magnus and, and all the other attendees. It was a great night. Great night. Absolutely. Well, awesome. If you guys are in, uh, I always said, man, if you go to California, a lot of you in the Southwest, listen, I know a lot of you are going to pit stop. You're going to see Mickey Mouse and all that Disneyland. No, 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 no. You need to just go right up to LA from Anaheim and go stop at the Peterson museum. They've always done an amazing job with different exhibits and Greg, we appreciate you giving us a report. Greg, with G's up, G-E-E-Z-U-P.com. Thank you, buddy. Absolutely. Have a great week in Vegas, and I'll catch up to you as soon as you get back. We will. We'll catch up with you soon, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. See you, guys. Greg Ovis, always doing a good job, um, and he's out. In fact, we'll have Greg back on the show here pretty soon. As I said earlier, the future of transportation is evolving. A lot of you know it. You get the one-liners. You're reading Twitter. You're seeing Instagram. You're seeing a lot of sizzle. Sizzle, is it real? Flying cars, driverless tech, and these three-wheel bikes. This transportation shift has actually begun, and we're honored to bring Jans Martin Skibstead in. Stay tuned, Ranch Nation. Bolt-on Technologies, automotive software solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-on Technologies software provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time, the quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me, my clients, and they're likely not to come back? Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, amazing service, knowledgeable counter folks, a complete line of original equipment, parts that our customers deserve. If you're an installer, Get on to partsauthority.com. Check locations nationally near you. Partsauthority.com. I want my mileage.
mileage back. Of course you want your mileage back. And all the extra money you've spent feeding an engine gunked up with carbon. Your car needs its fuel system cleaned, and it needs it now. You need BG44K. It's the one dealerships use the most. In fact, they use BG44K almost 3 to 1 over any other fuel system cleaner made. To find a shop near you, go to BGFindAShop.com. That's BGFindAShop.com. I got my mileage back. BG, BG. Whether you're looking for a full-service direct mail or you just simply want a few marketing materials printed for use in your store, MailShark has got you covered. With over 10 years of client service success with direct mail postcards, restaurant box toppers, magnets, and so much more, MailShark is there to help your marketing team acquire the clients you deserve. Pay weekly, pay as you go. There is no pressure, no contracts, direct mail. For more details, visit themailshark.com. Right on. Welcome back. Wrench Nation. Frank Lloyd's hanging out with you guys. I remind you to get on to WrenchNation.tv. I know a lot of you will dip in and out. Of course, uh, thank you to our KMET out in California and KFNX listeners uh, on Saturday. We've heard from you guys. And, of course, our podcast family. We appreciate you. We're talking about the future. It's now. It's happening. Technology is moving and grooving, not only under hood, but between cars, forms of transportation, and all things mobility. Uh, We're honored to bring in Jens Martin Skibstead from Denmark. Jens, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to first say, feel tanka, all right, (laughs) if I can, (laughs) for really calling in. It's a late hour. Of course, we do the show live and we so appreciate that, so we wanted to honor the fact that you spent time with us. Thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure. Excellent. So uh, you have been a council member of the World Economic Forum's Future of Cities and Urbanization Team. That's a that's a big deal. Uh, you've been featured uh, throughout multiple media outlets like Huffington Post. I, I want to, before we dive into tech, I want to get a sense of, your career, when you first started, we have a lot of youngsters that listen to the show. How did you evolve uh, into this whole space and perhaps throw out a, maybe an early mentor that really motivated you? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in, um, in Denmark and uh, the, the city I grew up in, you have 40% of all people uh, commuting to work by bike. So um, it was an obvious choice for me to start out by making uh, bikes and that's what I did. And uh, the idea to differentiate them was uh, to make them uh, super attractive, right? So if you, if you look at... Um, at bikes in cities, um, they are you know they're they're faster, they're cheaper, they're healthier, um, you know better for the, uh, better for the environment. Uh, yet people tend to drive in cars. Uh, cars make a lot of sense on longer distances, but in city centres, not a lot, right? So, uh, but what is, why is it then that everybody drives a car in the middle uh, of the city? It's Basically, because you can express who you are, right? You can you can tell the story about yourself, and bikes couldn't really do that. So that was my ambition, uh, basically to, to make a, a bike that where people would want to step out of the car and get onto it. I got to ask you an interject as we we kind of travel your journey. Um, absolutely, uh, Europe, uh, Frankfurt. You can go you can go through major cities, unlike the U.S. Um, the U.S. doesn't, I mean, we have a small culture, but nothing like Europe when it comes to bikes. Can you talk to me? You had mentioned a cleaner bike for the environment. Um, many have listened to that. What does that mean, a cleaner bike for the environment? In, is this in the materials? Talk to us about that. Well, uh, it's, it's cleaner in the sense that uh, you don't uh, have the combustion emissions, right? I so got you. you. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And of course, it's also cleaner in the sense that you have less CO2 emissions. So you could say a, uh, an electric car is, uh, is clean in, in terms of combustion. You know, you don't have any fumes going out, but uh, you still use a lot of energy. And that energy comes from somewhere and, you know, that creates uh, some global warming. So in that sense, bikes are, uh, you know, they're more effective um, even than walking, right? So it's actually better for uh, for the planet if you bike than walk because you spend more energy and, and eat more beef, uh, 
beef while you walk around. Yeah, no, I mean, this makes perfect sense. I'm just challenged in my mindset uh, as, as here we are in the United States, we like our things, you know, large meals, large cars, and we're kind of grumpy about making a transition. Why do you think uh, our culture has sort of not embraced uh, the same sort of uh, attitude towards a bike? I mean, we're healthy. As you said, our carbon footprint is, is minimized. We complain about our environment, but it doesn't seem like we've really jumped on board uh, like uh, Denmark, uh, Scandinavian countries, Norway for sure. Uh, what's your theory there? Well, so part of it is that, uh, you know, it's a practical one. You know, some very spread out cities like L.A. or Detroit, it's just the distances are just too big to, to be biking around. But uh, in the more dense cities, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a lot about culture. Um, so the U.S. is a very car-centric culture. And, um, you know, even dying in a car like James Dean did is, becomes an iconic thing. I know. Um, what a history we, go, we have, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. But, but, I mean, it's been an inspiration for the entire world. And, and you know, and the rest of the world became car-centric as well. But um, uh, so, so, so that culture has not really happened for bikes. So if you look cool in a car and not on a bike, you're going to choose uh, the car, right? So um, end of the day, getting, uh, you know, uh, having beautiful partners is more attractive to you than, uh, you know, being practical. Yeah. Before we get to the flying car projects that you were involved in, um, designing a bike, some would say, well, the bike has been around, what, since who knows when, hundreds of years maybe? Right. That must have been a big task for you. You saw an opportunity and you're well known in that arena. What were the challenges in just taking two wheels, some metal, aluminum, what have you, and really putting your signature on it for design? Well, again, you you have tons of um, new tech coming up constantly and, um, you, you know, I think the automotive uh, industry has done a good job in finding out so what's out there, how can we uh, reappropriate, uh, you know, how can we make better cars out of these new new technology, uh, new techs. But um, that's not really true for for, for the bikes. Right? They they they're basically some uh, you know some rods you weld together uh, in a tri- triangle. You know, and they've been so for over 100 years. Right. And so it, it wasn't that challenging to comp- to find some technologies that could really, um, you know, change that completely. Understood. So yeah. um, it, I, I used uh, some, uh, some, some some time of, of, of vacuum molding uh, of super... I mean, it's called super plastic forming uh, of aluminum. And uh, it's a thing that... Uh, you, you've used it a bit in cars. You've used it on some Aston Martins. You, you basically, basically, or mostly, have used it for uh, jet planes because it's um, it's good for low quantities. And so that you, I could completely uh, mold a bike out of aluminum with that technology that would look completely different from uh, what you knew, and also bring down weight, etc. That's awesome. Um, it 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 is. Uh as you said, something that I think when you have the passion, passion, the motivation, uh, you definitely, obviously, you've had the engineering rudiments, the design. Uh, that's something to take advantage of. Uh, going back some time, I believe uh, several years ago, you were involved with the one of the first flying cars. Am I right by saying that? Yes, uh, very true. Uh, at least in terms of uh, getting certified, it's uh, I think the first. Um, so uh, yeah, it's the Terrafugia transition. Um, it's um, it was started by some some guys up uh, at MIT, and um, I mean these projects have a ton of people and um, you know involved in it uh, of all sorts of uh, uh, with all sorts of specialties. Uh, I took part in a tiny bit of it. My design company, uh, Kibisi, um, helped, helped do some of the, the soft design. Uh, at some point, one of the investors looked at uh, how it looked and said, this is not going to work. He said, call Jens Martin, and uh, that's what happened. And I started uh, working with them. Understood. Give us some insight, because this was cutting edge back then. We do know that uh, China currently, they, I believe they have the Ehang, 
Uh, there's always some news. It seems like Dubai, they're, they're throwing up uh, signs of, uh, you know, that there could be uh, a future included. Uh, some would say a flying car right now in, in sort of a drone-style engineering is way too loud. We're not going to have these drones flying over neighborhoods. How high can we go uh, with altitude? What were the challenges for the Terrafugia during the time you guys came together, what were, was drone technology even a thought back then in uh, in those days? No, what what, what they call uh, urban air mobility, you know, where you uh, whiz around in these uh, jetsons like uh, things, like in EVTOLs uh, or VTOLs or you know drones with humans in, that was not really a thing. Um, you know. Most of the tech was around by then, you know, that, that you could make small electric uh, distributed motors, uh, the GPS system, the processing power. Uh, the stuff was coming around, but it wasn't really come together yet. So it was a different um, environment. Uh, I, I, you know, I understand why there's a lot of resistance. So, um, again, Going from city to city is very different from uh, you know being within a city. So you're probably not going to be bothered if people fly you know from somewhere in Ohio to uh, some somewhere in Utah because you're not going to hear a lot of noise. Makes sense. Mostly. Yeah. But if you're in a city center, having such a fan uh, blow down on you, uh, you know, is, is highly annoying. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. What excites you right now, Jens? I mean, um, drone technology is incredible right now, and we hear stories. In fact, we reported on the show not too long ago. Um, I believe it was McDonald's or one of the big you know, worldwide franchises that are now going to start uh, delivering. I think it's through Uber Eats. They're going to deliver meals. Um, is this just sizzle? I mean, how? where do you see drone technology, and what excites you right now not only in design, but perhaps the practicality. Practicality meaning it will work for both the consumer, institution, organization, and the big R, regulation. Um, what gets you excited right now? What companies do you see out there that, ooh, they have a good chance? Well, um, what, what drones do extremely well is to um, go places where roads don't go. So, um, or, or, you know, if, if you have to, uh, to, to go very, you know, places that are not dense for very long distances where it's hard to get, they do very well. So uh, there are some ventures in, uh, on the African continent getting medicine out, you know, in the middle of nowhere with drones. That's perfect because it's just too expensive to, to build a huge road uh, through such a big uh, territory. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I, I think, as you said earlier, uh, and of course, you know, the average individual is not going to have, we're not going to get our barbecue chicken delivered overhead over our house and our neighbor. We can hear all that mess. But it makes novel sense for the remote areas to have this form of transportation because infrastructure, uh, let's take Afghanistan, for example, uh, to build out roadway infrastructure out there, multi, multi billions of dollars. So, Perhaps Afghanistan could look at, or areas of Africa could look at, ways of droning things in, ways of uh, transportation through drone technology. That may be a bit more practical. That makes sense. Yeah, it, it does, and and, and so, so so that's that's one uh, application where you've got to fly those long distances where there's no infrastructure. Um, it also uh, makes sense in situations where you don't want a human. Uh, flying around, so um, you know, it's a, on the more negative side, if, if you like, you, you see now in the Ukraine-Russia war, uh, both sides are, you know, they, they're winning the war or they're trying to win the war with drones, right? Because it's it's better that they get shut down than humans get shut down. So, um, so there are applications out there that are super interesting um, within cities. Um, they're also too dangerous, right? It's it's fairly easy to hack such a thing. And I mean, after after nine eleven, we're not that keen on having uh, flying objects um, coming too close to our buildings. Um, so so I see that as a bit of a challenge. Um, I mean, the, the idea with the 
Tarifuja back then was, uh, you know, it was an airport-to-airport thing, but then you can um, fold up the wings and, and drive out. So it makes sense to uh, people that can't fly home. If you fly uh, with visual flight regulation, it means you can only fly if you can see stuff very far ahead. And um, so then you don't get caught and you can drive back. But um, I think the most interesting thing is in, in the U.S., there are over 5,200 public-use airports. And uh, they're not really that much used, right? So how can we integrate that in the rest of the infrastructure? So there's some interesting stuff going around. How do we merge infrastructure that these things could help with? Yeah, that makes um, perfect sense. Utilize the cutting-edge design, technology, and repurpose what we have. Uh, if you're just joining us, we have Jens Martin Skibstead. He's Global Partner VP Foresight Mobility. As well as, please visit Amazon.com, his latest book, Expand, Stretching the Future by Design. Uh, Jens, hang with us. we got a quick break. We're going to bring you back in. We're going to dive into more topics uh, regarding mobility and technology. Stay tuned. Wrench Nation. Support for Wrench Nation Car Talk, the smart choice for auto parts, Pronto National Association. Pronto is committed to the independent automotive aftermarket and demonstrates leadership within the automotive industry. Pronto Association is made up of nearly 100 member auto part distributors. Visit pronto-net.com. Automotive technical training, parts lineup, and representation of the automotive member community. Pronto-net.com. Now, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited about this. We have a benefits portion of our website, wrenchnation.tv, where we've got benefits for the Wrench Nation community, which is really protection for you, your family, your team. Your culture is important. Your team environment is important. So we're going to make it real easy for you to shop for health care, life insurance, device insurance, even pet insurance. I'm excited to share with you the benefits for the Wrench Nation community. Get on a wrenchnation.tv. We've made it real easy and simple. Your small business team deserve no less. Get on a wrenchnation.tv. Check out the benefits page and check out health insurance, life insurance, car rental, condo and home insurance. You name it. We've got your benefits covered. Get wrenchbenefits.com or wrenchnation.tv. 52% of the population family are women. We love you ladies, but less than 3% of you women are professional technicians. Our charity partner, Tech Force Foundation, believes if we want to solve this little technician shortage, we need to start talking to 52% of these ladies out in the population. Head on over. If you feel like you can tinker with the best of them, head on over to techforce.org. Wrench Nation, Frank Lloyd's hanging out with you. I remind you to get to wrenchnation.tv. Life gets busy. Listen to a show or two at your leisure. Grab a beverage, relax. Big shout out to a lot of my industry peers that listen to the show. Uh, I've heard you. You've come up with some great topics. Remember, this is uh, our show. It's an open mic for you. And I do remind you, AVI On Demand... All my technicians and shop owners, get ready. you got plenty of time. The 2023 AVI Conference is happening right in beautiful Sanibel Harbor Resort, uh, the Marriott there, January 12th to the 15th, January. January is coming, 2023. I want to remind you, AVI is an accredited ESC training provider. You know them well, offering very progressive courses, in the arena of hybrid and EV technology, that is what we're talking about. We need to know this stuff. Some of you are retiring right now. No, you're not. <laughs> you got to know because it could be in your service base. And in all reality, we're talking about diesel technology as well as engine performance. Register today. Book your event ticket. You can visit avionDemand.com. I will be in-house. I'll be teaching a course on marketing and small business Strategies and tactics for the service space, avionDemand.com. We are talking about mobility, the future. Some of us are confused. I'll be honest with you, I get confused. Uh, I try to follow a few good, you know, non fake news outlets. It's hard. 
especially as someone working in the service bays. Perhaps my kids may have to work on these things in the future. And so we are honored to have Jens Martin Skibstead. He's a global partner, vice president of Foresight Mobility, calling in live. Thank you so much from Denmark. Jens, are you there? Yes, thank you. I, I got to say, uh, you're doing a lot in this arena. You've written a book. Before we dive in to what some would say is we're going way, way too fast, by the way, of this sort of uh, anti-ice movement. Some of us would say that, and some would say, get with the program, we need to save the environment, and so on. Before we dive into that, I want to get into this book. You wrote a book recently. Uh, Of course, it's available on Amazon, Expand. Stretching the Future by Design. This was a natural transition for you. You're in the design movement and business. Tell us about the book. Thanks. Uh, yes, the, the book was basically about um, innovation getting stuck, right? So uh, even the fact that we are um, talking about what are we actually going to do with these drones? Are they real? When, when do they will they... When will they actually serve any good? Um, is really there to show that um, innovation is, is just uh, freewheeling without really know, looking at what is it that we actually need, right? What's desirable? It, it can't be that way around that stuff happens uh, and then we just have to adopt it, right? Uh, I mean, machines don't happen to us. Machines are made by us, right? So, so getting that focus back in innovation, that, that's very much what uh, this book is about. You know, and that's a, it's interesting you mentioned that. It's the first time I've kind of, I mean, you, you summarize what you see, all things drone, and it seems to be a negative bias. It's military, it's destructive, we're taking people out. It's, it's, it doesn't seem to, for the average consumer, I think I can speak for the average consumer, seem to have any positive movement. I mean, we tried to get excited and we said, hey, you're going to get a cheeseburger possibly delivered by a drone. We don't know if that's shtick. But I think your book, uh, diving into that topic, is well needed so that we can really see the positive light of the future of transportation and not by the way of some over-the-top uh, millionaire or billionaire that decided, yeah, I'm going to make a flying drone. It's going to be for me, and I'm going to fly it from house to house. How does this affect the common individual and their future transportation? You know, and I think that's important. I also want to give credit. Uh, you wrote this book with uh, Christian Basin, so big shout out to Christian Basin as well. Again, you can find the book on Amazon.com. Expand stretching the future by design. I'll make sure to have that in the show notes. Now, as an automotive technician, you know, we, we kind of evolved. We were, the, we were the old mechanics. Then we became technicians. Now we're reading lines of code and we're deciphering data. And that new F-150 has 100 million lines of code. We have learned so much in the last 10 years for sure that's got us on pins and needles. And we grasp all this new technology so that we can repair and service these vehicles. And voila, here comes over-the-air updates, and as I said, you know, uh, dealing with CAN bus systems. Do you think we are going too fast, or uh, do you think this EV movement movement is uh, overdue? And get over yourself; you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think it's overdue, right? Uh, I mean, uh, there's nothing that solves all problems in the world, but uh, but this does so- solve a lot of uh, the problems that relate to. Uh, driving around in cars. Uh, that said, uh, of course, if you're a mechanic, uh, there are some challenges, right? I mean, as you said, you've got to do stuff you've, you haven't done before. Um, and some way you're a little bit out of control because uh, a lot of it is black box. So uh, in the same way that uh, if you wanted to, you probably could, uh, you know, um, fix your, your or get your uh, iPhone fixed, the moment you do that, uh, the, the the warranty goes away. So th- th- there's a lot of um, challenges around that, and and, uh, and one that's also very uh, important is that there are not a lot of movable parts. So when you have a lot of movable parts, stuff breaks, and you got to repair it. Uh, if you don't have that, 
it breaks less, right? So there's less of a need for the mechanic, and uh, the mechanic has completely new challenges. Uh, that said, when things change, there are always some opportunities, right? So uh, I don't think it's doom and gloom. It's just uh, a new world, and you've got to not just adapt, you've got to reinvent. Yeah, and I agree. There's uh, a whole movement in the industry, in the aftermarket. I can speak for the aftermarket. Uh, specifically, we need to touch upon, you mentioned it ever so briefly, and that is the ability. If we're going to train up on how to test properly, decipher data, uh, look at modules and how they communicate, which we are, well, golly, we need the information. And, and I remind you guys listening, right to repair is a serious movement. And so far, so good. It looks like, in fact, Tesla is starting to play ball and release uh, their Tesla toolbox, which is, allows us to uh, set their version of steering angle sensors for alignment and so on. But we need to continue a movement so we have the ability to have unfettered access to this data so that we can fix and service these vehicles. And on that point, I've got to ask you, because Europe seems to be a whole lot progressive, regulatory is a little different. Is the average automotive technician, if I can ask this, Jens, uh, throughout Europe, and, and perhaps you can speak for Denmark, uh, are they playing ball fine with data in terms of how the OEs like Volkswagen and, and, and all out there are releasing the data? Uh, is this a problem or no? I mean, um, it, it's not like a political problem. Uh, p people don't shout out about it, but uh, it, it does mean that when you go to the car shop, uh, you need to speak to uh, the few that actually have trained specifically for this, right? So it does change uh, the landscape. And what, what regards, uh, you know, the, the right to repair, that's actually a thing that goes across any machine, right? So, so most things, if they break today, it's cheaper to buy a new one, and that's not really ideal. You know, it's it's uh, we got to get away from this, just throwing things away. Of course, a car is too expensive to throw away, but you know, a washing machine or a TV or a phone or whatever, they actually cheaper to throw away than to actually fix. Yeah, it makes uh, makes some sense. I know I speak for a lot of farmers as well. I, I know that in uh, in. Uh, Holland, there's a, a big uh, uh, viable uproar. Uh, farmers are losing their ability to farm and so on. But on the technological side of things, I can speak for middle America here. Uh, one will invest in a very expensive piece of equipment to farm, and that equipment goes down. Don't you dare tell a farmer he cannot fix his equipment. And currently, he's locked out of data retrieval and being able to so this does speak to right to repair that is across the board uh very well said to those items that you're just not going to throw away and upgrade to the latest model uh it just isn't practical i've got to ask you these uh tesla moving and grooving uh 14 15 dollars i can say hey yes mr elon update me for full self-driving I will pay for it. It is beta right now. It's not in full uh, organized step, but they're beta testing. Uh, we were honored to have New York City Traffic Commissioner and author of the book, No One Behind the Wheel. Uh, Gridlock Sam Schwartz is the author, and he declares by mid-century, 2050, you could be arrested for actually driving a vehicle in certain municipalities. Are you on the same page with that? I mean, could well, that be? <laughs> well, if, if, he, if he talks, if he thinks that uh, cars by then will be fully automated and you don't really uh, intervene, uh, then I, I don't believe it uh, at all, right? I mean, the devil is in the detail. And uh, some of these judgments that we make are extremely complex, right? If we, we see uh, a, a youngster run on, on the sideway, uh, a car like that is not going to, think about it. Uh, we will immediately think, is this youngster um, you know, going to run out in the middle of the traffic because he has no clue? Uh, there, 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 there are tons of very complex situations that they can't handle. And, uh, um, but that said, um, th there might be, I, th I think it's a realistic uh, scenario that um, being 100% uh, controlled by uh, people 
might not be true either at that point. Um, I mean, in, in Europe, all new cars now are made so they, they can be uh, speed controls. So, so in, at some point, you're going to uh, basically not be able to drive faster than uh, the speed allowed. Right? So, so that, uh, that type of not being able to uh, be, be free, I believe, is true for, for 2030. Yeah, and I think it does speak to some of the innovation regarding the camera systems. There's a big argument, uh, sort of battle between uh, how effective uh, artificial intelligence, predictive analysis, uh, the billions of uh, lines of code, I guess I can say, millions of recorded data for that AI and predictive analysis that goes into Will that kid, based upon his arm moving a certain way, is he going right or left? Um, you know, that's a tough one. That's a very tough example. But it is pretty neat to see uh, Tesla really proving that these camera systems uh, and with the right data interpretation based upon scenarios prior seem to be the future movement while others say, no, you, you kind of need to have that LIDAR, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, but there is some human inter- interaction. I mean, if, if I sat in front of you, you would be able to see on my eyes my intent, right? I mean, how is a machine going to do that while I'm moving in the middle of the traffic and there are 100 other people moving around? I mean... That level of complexity is not just around the corner. I believe that 100%. It's nice to see uh, many talented engineers uh, under the Tesla brand. In fact, all the brands that are really trying to prove this very difficult technology. Um, Speaking of which, let's go back to the consumer. Um, You know, especially here in the States, like we, we, we have a driving culture. Like a lot of us are like, no, you're not taking over my car. Uh, however, maybe, as you said earlier, yes, we've had cruise control for many years. Uh, we've got cruise control now that's quite automated with braking and distance uh, uh, between cars and so on. But there seems to still be this behavioral resistance and sort of this psychological barrier that uh, we don't want to lose control of a vehicle how do you see that parlaying in the future? Are we just a, a generation or two right now that our future grandkids and great-grandkids will laugh at us and say, oh, they drove. What was their problem? I mean, this is a big psychological uh, step and behavioral change. What do you see in the arena of technology that may be able to help with that human behavior? Well, I think it's, it's very much an, a, you know, a behavioral thing, right? So... Um, uh, and, and a cultural thing as well, right? To uh, to you and I growing up, uh, a car was, a, you know, you, there was a sense of freedom. The, the first thing you had to do uh, was to get a driver's license and just go wherever you wanted to go. That, um, I think, sense of freedom you no longer really necessarily have, right? For, for one of the reasons is that you're stuck in traffic, right? So how do you feel free then? Um, but also, as you say, there's a lot of tech creeping up um, on us, and you know we're using the the cruise control, etc. So, so I think um, slowly we will uh, trust these things. I've, I've personally, um, you know, used these uh, types of automation, and there's still none that I trust. Right, every time at some point uh, the car does something weird, I'm like, okay, this I'm not going to trust. But um, how uh, you know how things change? That can you know they can change in mysterious ways. So um, Paris, uh, I, I grew up in Paris. It was an extremely car-centric um, city, uh, and people almost got mad if they saw me on a bike because you know why would you uh, you know disturb us with this object? Right? <laughs> so. Um, but today, Paris is very much, uh, you know, it's very welcoming to bikes. A lot of people bike around, and uh, they started by having the sharing system of bikes. Nobody used them. So why, why get up on this bike? But then um, at some point, people uh, realized that when uh, the rude taxi drivers said, ah, I don't really know if I'm going to take you uh, in the middle of the night, 
you know, when they came home from clubbing, um, they had they couldn't drive their own car. They were drunk, you know, uh, and so they were, and, and then they, they had to deal with these rude uh, cab drivers. So they're like, okay, I'm just going to jump on the bike, right? So and and then they found out, oh, this bike is actually fairly practical. And then uh, they thought, why not use it during the day as well? And so uh, that uptake came in a complete random way. So. Sometimes, uh, you know, you don't know how things happen, right? But, but you do, but you, you uh, I tell you, Jens, you just painted a picture. Uh, some uh, clubbing uh, individual who's a little tipsy, um, I, we, I don't think I've witnessed a drunken cyclist. I mean, that would be a pretty interesting view. But no, you make a, you make a lot of sense. It's very practical. I have about a minute left. I've got to ask you this. We have a lot of automotive technicians and shop owners that listen to the show what do you believe will a modern-day mechanic need as a critical skill set to work on these cars of the future? Well, I think um, there are some essential electro engineering that, unfortunately, you've got to go back to the drawing board and learn about, right? And then I would uh, think you've got to get your hands on as many used EVs as possible and just start tearing them apart, right? Because right now uh, the brands seem to uh, to own and, and control that whole process and the right to repair is really hampered. So uh, that's what I would do. Yeah, go out uh, the practicality of it. Uh, there's a big shout out to Rich Rebuilds. He has a very big He's got over a million subs on YouTube. He's been in that arena for the last several years fighting the battle. And, yes, what he does is he gets uh, he gets the used EVs, and sometimes he has a Frankenstein moment with these things. But you, you kind of live by trial by error because, yeah, it's not like we are – I mean, the, the technology and the training is getting there, uh, but it is a challenge for us, and I think we'll overcome it. I am honored, honored, uh, Jens Martin Skibstead. I am so honored to have you on the show, and I want to thank you for the late hour in Denmark uh, for joining us. And I remind folks to get on Amazon, check out the book, Expand, Stretching the Future by Design. We're going to get you back on, Jens, in the future to catch up with you. It'll be interesting to see where technology moves a year from now, and we'd love your take. Thank you. It was my honor. Excellent. Yes, Jens Martin Skibstead, uh, Global Partner, VP Foresight and mobility, a ton of great information uh, online for that. And so I will have all details in show notes. It's tough to cover everything in one hour. Uh, We will certainly have Jens back. If you're new to the show, we thank you for joining us. If you've been listening to our show for some time, please don't be bashful. Get on to wrenchnation.tv. Give us your comments, thoughts, ideas, show topics. And if you know a great shop owner slash technician, we always have an open mic to highlight their good works right here on Wrench Nation. Thank you so much. As I tell you every week, be safe, hug each other, and never forget to hug the mechanic.